Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, it's Major Garrett, and welcome to our new podcast. Did you know we have a new feed completely separate from the takeout as well? Please just search Debriefing the Briefing. Click subscribe, and then if you can, and we'd really love this, drop us a rating and or a review. Pretty soon, you'll have to be subscribed to the new feed if you want to hear new episodes of Debriefing the Briefing. Thank you, and now let's start the show. We're opening up our country, and we have to do that. America wants to be open, and Americans want to be open. The the president uh, directed us to uh, propose a a phased approach uh, to reopening. No matter what phase you're in, if you are in phase one, two, three, it's not okay, game over. Does this mean that states such as Montana and Utah that already meet that gating period, will they be able to go to phase one as early as, say, tomorrow if the governor decides? Uh, they will be able to go literally tomorrow, yes. From CBS Audio, this is Debriefing the Briefing. Here's CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Hello from Washington and welcome to Debriefing the Briefing, a summary of the daily White House Coronavirus Task Force Briefing. April 16th, the briefing lasted one hour, 12 minutes, the 41st briefing of its kind, and by far the most important component part was the announcement of a three-phased program and set of guidelines from the federal government for states to begin to reopen their economies. To briefly summarize, no state can do that unless it has met a certain guideline in terms of a decline for 14 straight days in cases, hospitalizations, and other dimensions related to symptoms of people presenting with possible COVID-19. After that, phase one, very slight lifting of stay-at-home orders already imposed in many states. Phase two, Gatherings of 50 people or more are acceptable. Schools and camps can reopen. Non-essential travel is permitted. And some elective surgery. Phase three, all things essentially reopen, but with a very strong set of guidelines dealing with hygiene and social distancing. During a conference call with governors, President Trump talked about how he would defer to their own decision-making process. And you're going to be calling your shots. We'll be standing right alongside of you, and we're going to get our our country open and get it working, and our people want to get working. I want to bring in now the economist Stephen Moore. He's not a classically trained economist. He acknowledges that. At the Tuesday, April 14th briefing, President Trump announced that Moore and others would be serving as thought leaders on something he calls the Great American economic revival team. Uh, We are recording this, ladies and gentlemen, on the day that the Labor Department announced another 5 million Americans applied for unemployment insurance. And moments after that, my guest, Stephen Moore, put out a statement that said, starting tomorrow, and I'm quoting this directly, we need to let American business open up their doors and allow tens of millions of workers back earning a paycheck. If we do not act soon, again, I'm directly quoting, hundreds of thousands of Americans could die from economic deprivation and hopelessness. 
True? You really believe that? Yeah, I do, but I sure hope it doesn't happen. Uh, look, we know this, that when you have a really uh, calamitous economic situation, as we have now, uh, we can go a couple of months like this, but I, I really don't think it can go much past that. Uh, every day I get uh, calls from uh, businessmen and women who run small businesses who are saying, if I don't get revenues in and customers in in the next couple of weeks, I'm out of business. And all these loan programs in the world aren't going to prevent a lot of that from happening. Uh, we're seeing every day, the, you've seen the pictures, Major, of the mile-long lines at some of the food banks around the country. People are feeling real harm from this. Uh, there are millions and millions, tens of millions of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck. For people like you and me, I mean, I've estimated my income is going to be about down about 60% this year, but I have an income where it's not going to cause me real hardship. It's the people at the very bottom who are really facing hardship. We know that... Prolonged unemployment can cause all sorts of problems from, uh, you know, from alcoholism to drug abuse to suicide, depression. So, uh, you know, there's a rule of thumb major that every one percentage point increase in the unemployment rate is associated with about 10,000 additional deaths. So when you add that to the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that we're spending and printing, you know, we're making some major decisions that are going to affect Americans, uh, not just now, but for years and maybe decades to come. You mentioned that statistic. If those uh, who remember the movie, The Big Short, remember there was a line from Brad Pitt in which he says that in the middle of the movie, the one percentage point increase in joblessness equates to a 10%. Is that where that comes from? Yes, yes. I, I mean, it's, it's in the book a, and it's in the movie, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, good. I'm, not, I'm glad you told me that. But hey, look, it, maybe it's a little bit... It's a pop culture from... reference, but it, it's, it speaks to something that is a yeah. larger dynamic yeah. when people are facing economic, then personal, then, then sometimes psychological or other deprivation. Yeah. And look, I, I'm, I, ha- frankly, I'm happy to have this debate with people about... Uh, you know, what is the appropriate time for us to open our economy? What steps we have to take? But I'm, I, frankly, I'm tired of people trying to take the moral high ground and saying, oh, Steve Moore is trying to put greed or profits ahead of, of uh, people's lives. Look, I, you know, I'm sorry, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, but the people you're hurting the most with the shutdown are the people at the very bottom, the people. I just I don't want it to continue. I think we've got to be very smart about a new strategy that is not either or, but takes the best public health measures available to uh, get our economy open. Because look, if, uh, at some point, uh, a society without an economy can't function. And as you well know, Steve, the president asserted earlier this week, he has absolute ultimate total authority. Well, <laughs> he, he didn't doesn't. really say that. <laughs> he did. He did. No, he did. He said exactly that. He said well, the governors know, and he he knows that he, he was obviously counseled because the yeah. next day he was much more <laughs> flexible about that. Governors do have a great say in this. That's the way our federal system is. Yeah created and the way it's always worked. It's the way I know you ideologically support and defer to. So that's also part of this equation. There are guidelines that come from the federal government. There is persuasive powers of the presidency, but many of the the, uh, legitimized powers rest in the hands of governors. So I just have to say one thing about this idea where he said, you know, I have absolute power. I mean, it is interesting to me that, you know, as part of my job, I have to read the New York Times every day. And all I've been yelling and screaming about for the last three or four weeks is how dare Donald Trump let these states remain open. He should take executive action and he should have a national emergency and shut down every state. So we have no, you know, every all the economic activity. And now when he says he wants to open up things and and, uh, as, as executive power, oh, he doesn't have the authority to do that. So he has the authority 
authority to shut down the economy, but he doesn't have the authority to open it up. Uh, my, my view, you know this, is that we should rely on federalism. That's the great thing about America. The ingeniousness of our founding fathers is that we are states created our federal government, not the other way around. And let's let the governors make these decisions. Uh, but the president also should should provide a lot of guidance. The, exec- the federal government should provide guidance about the best practices to to uh, to take into mind when you open up the uh, their economy and, and that kind of thing. So I think that's where the president is now. So, uh, you know, on the right, in some quarters of the right, uh, there's been criticism for Dr. Fauci. Uh, do you have any criticism of Anthony Fauci? I have some criticisms of him. I think he's, uh, I, I, my own opinion, again, people can disagree on these things. I think we've, we've leaned may, way too much in the direction of uh, keeping the economy shut down to try to save every life, not realizing that we're causing huge hardship. Uh, for citizens, uh, again, the people at the bottom and, and businesses. And and that's, uh, you know, we're going to suffer a big loss of living standard because of this. Uh, so uh, I would say that. Then Fauci, you know, he made this comment a week or two ago that still sticks in my uh, craw where he said, I'm sorry about the economic inconvenience of this. And that's just um, it's an insulting thing to say. This is not an inconvenience. This is a calamity. This is a horde horrid situation when you have 30 million people who've lost their jobs. You know, I lost my job one time and that, I don't know if you've ever lost a job, but you know, get it, being unemployed is a really tough thing. And it's, uh, it, it, it really affects depression and your psyche and uh, your use of alcohol, all of these things. So this is not a minor inconvenience. It's a major, major problem for our economy. And again, people can come down one way or the other on this. I want to see a calibration. I want to see in a smart way, getting the American economy up and running so we can get Americans back to work. Were you uh, whispering or saying to the president, the cure can't be worse than the virus? It sounds like I, that's something you you I, think no, I, have said. I, I no, I wasn't saying that, but that's the way I do feel. I, I feel at this point the cure is worse than the virus itself. Uh, and I, again, I'm not minimizing this. By the way, I have two family members who think I'm crazy. Right? You know, so they, <laughs> they they think you know, shut that guy up. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But uh, it is interesting because the health officials tend to, you know, it's what's the old saying, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so the health officials are maybe appropriately looking at, okay, what what every step we can take to minimize the spread and the uh, the lethality of this virus. What was your take on the two point three trillion dollar lifeline bridge legislation? There's a lot in there that (laughs) I would think uh, ideologically and intellectually you might have found objectionable but under the under the time crunch and the dire circumstances you probably swallowed but what are your thoughts on it so uh, my idea was and then this was uh, an idea widely held that that it's appropriate and i'm a limited government guy as you know but it's appropriate in a crisis like this especially when it's caused by a governmental action to shut down businesses we don't we want those businesses not to go bankrupt we want we want them to survive so when the economy is back in good health they can get right back up and and we can have that v-shaped uh, recovery we all hope for and so the idea was to provide the loans. And what happened was 
that uh, instead of loans, I don't know how this got inserted into the bill, but this is an important story that's not been told a lot in the media. It was turned into a grant. So the way it worked is if you had a company and you had, say, 30 employees and you agreed not to lay any of them off, you could get, say, a $3 million loan from the government and it would be transferred into a grant. So in other words, you've got to keep the money. So what do you think is happening? Uh, this was so predictable, I predicted it would happen. Every healthy business in America is signing up for the loans right? Because it's free money. I mean, I, I get calls every day from some of my own members saying, how do I get that free money from Washington? That wasn't the idea. And it's had negative consequences for two reasons. One is the business that need the money can't get it because all the, you know, the politically connected businesses are. I'm shocking that that would happen, right? That's a portion of my conversation with Stephen Moore. To hear the entire interview, make sure you subscribe to my other podcast that's known as The Takeout. That's all for this episode of CBS Audio's Debriefing the Briefing. Until next time, I am Major Garrett in Washington. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.